This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talked live at the 2021 Wild Goose Festival with Brenda Davies, Brenda is a podcaster and YouTuber of the channel God is Gray, which has over 100,000 subscribers. She's also the recent author of On Her Knees, Memoir of a Prayerful Jezebel. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Hudson Freeman. Hudson Freeman is an indie folk artist from Missouri. You can get connected with Brenda and Hudson Freeman and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. So today we have Brenda Davies with me, and I'm really excited to introduce Brenda and introduce you all to Brenda. She is so incredible. She is a YouTuber and an author, and I'm sure there's so much more to you, Brenda, but who is Brenda Davies to Brenda Davies? Oh my gosh. We're starting out strong. What a question. It depends on the day. If I'm in a sad mood, I'm just an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, No, but generally I would call myself a writer, a storyteller, a mother, Mm. a lover, a friend, (laughs) a daughter, (laughs) a lot of things, and a Christian. I was telling... um, who was I telling this to? Yesterday in Matthias's podcast, I was talking about um, how 
the word progressive Christianity or the term has been co-opted by evangelicals that are trying to fear monger people mm. out of believing in it or like dipping their toe into it. So now I'm like, you know what? Screw you. I'm not a progressive Christian. I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Deal with that. Love that. <laughs> Big fan of that. Awesome. So we're going to talk about your book. Um, and for those who are can't see maybe up front, um, it, it's called On Her Knees, a, a memoir of a pray prayerful Jezebel and I thought this book is incredible Uh, you sent it to me the other day and I was reading through it and I was such a big fan and a lot of it you know again it's a memoir but the thing is is I think it's really rich with theology um, even if it's a little bit more implied and that's why I wanted to chat with you about this because I really think that there's really this really incredible theology undergirding this entire memoir but before we jump into sort of the theology behind it this is your first book right Yes. So if you don't count the like little notebooks I used to write (laughs) in middle school that were just on like paper. (laughs) About about all your crushes and whatnot, probably. Yeah. 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 I was going to try to lie, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So with this being your first book, what did you learn about yourself while you're writing your very first book? Well, I learned really young that writing was a catharsis. That was like the experience of journaling for me was just a release of everything. And I often feel like all my emotions and thoughts will be bottled up inside of me and I just desperately need to output them. Mm. I've said before that if I was on a desert island by myself, I would be writing on the sand just because I have to get it out. Mm -hmm. So... It was cathartic, and I started a version of this uh, about six years ago, Mm. and it's 700 pages. It's probably completely unreadable. It's it's like the... (laughs) Like uh, Tolkien or someone. Exactly. (laughs) It's a trilogy about purity culture. (laughs) It's insane, and it's beautiful because I had so much less knowledge then. I had lived experience, but after starting my YouTube channel and interviewing all these incredible experts and theologians and people that I've come to admire so deeply this version of the book I'm so proud to say is just informed by all of that knowledge that I was given from this gorgeous community that is represented here Mm. at Mm -hmm. Wild Goose so it was really difficult to write six years ago because it was excruciatingly painful it's a sad story I must say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with sexuality, it's agony and ecstasy and all the gray in between. So that is all represented in there. And um, I really leaned more heavily on the sad parts because the underpinning or the, the feeling that I had bubbling under beneath my sexuality the entire time was always shame and fear and doubt and Mm -hmm. just being scared that God hated me. So I wanted to accurately represent that even though I had moments of ecstasy and wonderful Mm -hmm. experiences. But um, writing about certain things like actually in the first version, trigger warning, um, assault. Um, But in the first version, I remember writing this story about... um, Uh, basically my rape and Mm -hmm. but at the time I didn't recognize it as such because it was before the Me Too movement so it was one of those things where it was like it was kind of sort of I just thought it was one of the sluttiest things I'd ever done Mm -hmm. having sex with someone I didn't want to and then the Me Too movement happened and then writing that again I was like oh Mm. my gosh I can't believe that's what that actually was Mm. and I can't believe I internalized it as me being some dumb slut you Mm. know just disrespecting my body or whatever 
So those moments were hard. And then I have this wildly abusive relationship that everything culminates in in the end. And that was excruciating to write six years ago. And I was dreading it this time around. But with all the information and all the embodiment work I'd done and all of the beautiful messaging I'd gleaned from the people in this community about my self-worth and divinity and God's love for me. The second time I wrote it with so much compassion for myself. And then I even scanned the book once over. Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers also scanned it over for Mm -hmm. me through this lens as well, Mm -hmm. which was, are you writing anything with shame? Because I may experience shame for certain things that I had done sexually, but... I wanted this book to be a love letter to people and I didn't want anyone to experience my shame and then therefore lean heavily into theirs. Mm. So God, divinity, forced my hand, so to speak, into writing this without shame. And because of that, it really catapulted so much healing inside Mm. of me and I hope it does the same for everyone who reads it. That's incredible. That's incredible. So that's something that you learned about yourself while you were writing it. And again, you know, you you really, I think, have a lot of theology undergirding it. Can you talk a little bit about something that you might have learned theologically while you were writing the book that maybe you didn't know before? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm not going to lie. It's it's crazy. I always read this story of uh, Mary Shelley when she wrote Frankenstein and she had a dream and then she woke up in the morning and just like poured out of her as if, you know, she felt like it was just given to her and she was that vessel. And when I think of that through the lens of spirituality, that truly is what happened to me when I was writing this. I tell people I wrote this book in 12 years and two and a half weeks because what you have here is two and a half weeks of me just sitting at a table and just allowing 12 years of lived experience and four years of doing my YouTube channel and having these interviews and learning about things to just pour out and I everyone informed me it was like everyone that I'd spoken to was holding my hand like someone like Tina or Linda Mm -hmm. K. Klein, so many people, Pete ends coming into my head and I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that thing they told Mm -hmm. me and I add it Mm -hmm. woven through my narrative story of my life. So that's the honest answer to it. It's like I learned it all through a long process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm So let's start digging into the book. And because so much of the book is around your experience of growing up in conservative evangelicalism, and especially the way that conservative evangelicalism talks about sexuality, you know, for those who are listening and maybe aren't quite familiar with like what that experience was like. Uh, so let's say you get into an elevator and somebody immediately asks, like, tell me about sexuality and conservative evangelicalism. And besides <laughs> you thinking, what in the world is this elevator ride going to be like? What would oh your elevator God. speech of of that experience be like? Tower of terror scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Better hope this is a long elevator ride. I'm like, is he an old white man? Because I'm scared. <laughs> is it a 13-year-old girl? Okay, okay, I feel calm. <laughs> I love that I've lived in L.A. for 19 years, and you know, this story opens up with me gallivanting around the Playboy Mansion. I said gallivanting, but I was actually filled with an overwhelming existential dread that I would go to hell just mm. for attending this party. Gallivanting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, I don't think I've interviewed any other author that opens up their book about gallivanting in the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> 
as much I've even Christian interviewed book. Tom, and that's not how he opens his books. <laughs> well, you should. You should try it. <laughs> um, so that said, I've always been surrounded by a huge queer community, you know, stylists and designers and production people and L.A. people who grew up and their parents just talked about sex whenever. So I was like a voyeuristic experience into the insanity of evangelicalism for a lot of my, not even secular, but friends of just different spiritualities. And Mm -hmm. they were always just like mouth agape, like, what the fuck did you just say? Mm. Like, And that kind of mirror held back at you is so informative because when you're like, oh, well, you know, my body is a temple and therefore if a spaghetti strap is showing and a guy touches me, it's my fault. Like, And your Buddhist friend is like, what did you just say? Mm. Then all of a sudden you have to like look at the mirror they just gave you and be like, oh my God, what did I just say? Who told me that? Where did that come from? And it took a really long time to process and unpack all of those ideas for myself. But... I would basically describe it as purity culture and hookup culture are two extremes in our culture, and I hate both of them. I'm always accused by conservative Christians of, like, just having sex wherever I want, however, and I'm just like, no, I these are both cultures I hate. I see them on opposite ends of a pendulum. Mm. So you have purity culture where you're abstaining from sex. You're being perfect. You're a good girl. God loves you because you're not penetrated by a penis, and that's the most valuable thing that you have to offer your future husband and your creator. So it is built on shame and fear. And the irony in that is that the Bible tells us over 90 times not to fear Mm -hmm. or some variation of that. The Bible also blatantly says our enemy is the author of fear. So building a sexual ethic on that is going to cause it to crumble. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time to people in all different situations. And then the other side is also built on fear and shame. Hookup culture is about the abuse misuse of bodies just going around tumbling into beds i call it my tramp page that i went on (laughs) because what happened is i was in purity culture believing my virginity was the most precious thing about me by the way we no longer use virginity it's your sexual debut is when you first have an experience Mm. and is it penetrative sex what is sex that's a whole other topic Mm -hmm. but From going from that, I found out my husband had cheated on me while we were dating, and that broke this pendulum, and I think it breaks for many people. It's that moment where you pull that first thread of the sweater in purity Mm -hmm. culture, and you're like, wait, that didn't make any sense. Oh, I didn't live happily ever after. Oh, my person cheated on me. Oh, I was assaulted. I didn't have the privilege of, quote, giving away my virginity to somebody. And that's when that breaks. And it doesn't just calmly center in the middle where you have a a healthy sexual ethic and you're taking care of people and you know about enthusiastic consent. No, when you're in extremes, it swings to the other extreme. Mm -hmm. And that was my tramp page. And I was also a woman living in the cultural narrative that you get from both church and secular culture, which is like, dudes just want to have sex. They just want to bang you. Like, beware of guys of the world, quote unquote. And with that narrative, I must have broken so many men's hearts or hurt them or betrayed them in certain ways because I was like, well, you got laid. Why are you bothering me? Why are you still Mm. trying to talk to me? And, you know, now I know 
uh, I forget the author. I was listening to Dan Savage's podcast, The Love Cast, and okay. he was interviewing an author, and she did this extensive research on like male and female and gender, sexuality. And after years of studying, her conclusion was men and women, uh, or theys, are the same. Like, mm. sexuality is just on this scale. It doesn't matter if you, like, how you identify. People have different sex drives, not according to their genitalia. Mm. It just has nothing mm-hmm. to do with it. So without all of that information, I was just living in both of these extremes, and they were both built on shame and fear. Mm-hmm. One of the things I loved about your book was I had a really similar experience in purity culture and also that kind of unraveling of it as well. Uh, obviously, you probably experience it in a very different way just because, especially in that world, like men and women are, like there's very distinct experiences of purity culture. Yeah. Yet, I still had a lot of shame around my body and sexuality, um, just in a very probably similar way as you did. And what I love about your book is you kind of take this turn in it in that you're not just simply defending like you can have sex with people outside of out of sight of marriage or, you know, before you're married and whatnot. It's not just like a defense, but actually what you start to do in throughout the book is you start to theologically reflect on your sexuality. You let your sexuality almost be the centerpiece to theological reflection. And that to me was like the really interesting moment. And so I had a really similar experience where I felt a lot of shame in my body and in, uh, around my sexuality. And as I started to sense that shame and started to realize that it is shame, I started to try to like theologically justify like why can I now maybe like explore my sexuality outside of marriage? And so what I'm kind of interested in is what were some of the theological justifications in that, those like first kind of moments of unraveling all of that? Like when did you start to realize like okay maybe there's something theologically justified in me? allowing myself to explore my sexuality in really robust ways that you weren't allowed to before? Mm, That's such a good question. And thank you for sharing that with me, too, because I love hearing about the men's experience in purity culture because it hurts all of us. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what your gender is. Purity culture is toxic um, because it's, it's built on these principles of fear and shame. It really is the foundation for it. So... What's coming to me, strangely enough, is that when my husband, when I found out my husband had cheated on me, I was so brokenhearted, and it's a story that every woman in my family had being betrayed by a man, and I never wanted to have that story. I was like, please don't give me that story. So that was a lot of my pain. I remember I like ran into this closet and like hid from him, and I tore off my clothes, which was a very biblical hmm. thing, too. <laughs> I look back at that moment, I was like, interesting. I just tore off my clothes and ran into a closet in this like deep mourning of like, oh, now it's happened to me. This thing that has been passed down to me generationally happened to me. I couldn't avoid it. I was a good girl. I was given this happily ever after story. When I look at purity culture, I'm quite positive that it was so enticing to me because it promised to protect me from betrayal. It promised me a happily ever after. You know, Christians accuse culture of like, the Cinderella stories and propping up these false idols of partnership. I'm like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> what do you guys mm-hmm. think you're doing? Mm-hmm. So 
the uh, that process was the beginning of my deconstruction i did not have that language at that time this mm-hmm. is brand new language for me i was calling this my prodigal son journey <laughs> and my tramp page and that was me i remember i wrote in my book too i told my roommate at the time i'm not going to count i'm just going to have sex with and do whatever i want i'm not going to tally because mm-hmm. if i tally i'll stop myself i'll be like <gasps> four is too much five mm-hmm. is too much like and i was like i can't have any institutionalized ideas about what I'm supposed to be doing. And again, you get it from church and culture, Mm -hmm. you know, society slut shames women just as much as the church does and vice versa. So I remember one time I was sitting on my bed and I would read the Bible every night and I opened up coincidentally to the passage where Paul is talking about women being silent at church Mm. and I I was in a mood and I have a really good relationship with divinity even in this mess and I slammed my bible and I was like why are you making me read this Mm. excuse me you are making me read this I thought I was your daughter I thought you chose me I thought you loved me and you're making me read this and I was just like sat there with my arms folded. I'm like, tell me what's up. Mm. And it was a really beautiful night. And I really think it was the first major moment of my deconstruction because divinity met me there and was like, Hey girl, like Mm -hmm. I didn't say that. And that's not what that meant. And it took me 12 more years of hating the apostle Paul and thinking he was a huge dickhead (laughs) to like unpack and really learn how his theology got so twisted. And Mm -hmm. even imagining if my blogs were taken out of context a 3,000 years from now and people were like thus saith the Lord over some dumb thing I said I'd be in heaven like oh god you know like don't do that Mm -hmm. anyway that was the first moment where I was like okay so you're telling me you are not reflected in this that I've been told I need to read every night and that I've been diligently doing so what's up what else and sexuality was Definitely just the biggest intrigue of my life, and it still is. I'm a sex educator. I love all things sex. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I really recognize that it's such a clear path to divinity. If you're truly making love in the truest sense of that, you are in divine community with yourself, a partner, and divinity. Mm-hmm. And really, Linda K. Klein was the first person that compelled me to have fully embodied sex. In her book, Pure, she said she would leave God outside of the bedroom. And I realized I had done the same thing, which I've said is like just psychological. Divinity is always with you. Yeah, God wants to join. <laughs> God is like kinky, so... <laughs> No, we're not saying all that, but just like an embodied experience. And um, I feel like I've lost the plot at this point, but next question. Well, and you actually, you're totally. I I lost myself on God is kinky. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's kind of where we all get lost a little bit. It actually leads into my next question a little bit. So I'm about to write my thesis uh, for my master's in theology. And essentially the claim I'm going to be making in my thesis is that it's our bodies that are central in shaping our faith. So maybe some are, people are familiar with like the Wesleyan quadrilateral where it's scripture and tradition and reason Teach and experience. Okay. So, so the Wesleyan quadri- quadrilateral believes that it's the, the four, these four things, reason, scripture, tradition, and experience the that Wesleyan shape our faith. Hat, 
has groupies is what I'm trying exactly. to say. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and here's my thing. I actually disagree with that. I don't think it's those four things. I, what I would um, like to coin as the Meneginian unilateral, it's our bodies that are the things that actually shape our faith. And so this kind of leads into my next question in that clearly your sexuality plays a massive role in shaping your faith and theology. So I'm curious, in what ways does your sexuality actually shape the way you understand God and theology? Oh, oh my goodness. That's a beautiful question because I haven't really thought of it that way, but it is absolutely true because when I engage with someone sexually in this new fully embodied form of myself, like I have way less sex sexual partners than I did on my tram page and at the same time that is because I'm living with sexual integrity hookup culture does allow for everything and purity culture also allows for you to have really dismissive disrespectful even abusive sex with your eyes closed like mm-hmm. men quoting Ephesians 5:22 to maritally rape their wives for example mm-hmm. like submit to me that is purity culture abuse of sexuality so they're both guilty of it and then when you're living fully integrated I love thinking of the triad of Jesus saying what is the greatest command love your God love your neighbor as you love yourself and I think it's so interesting that so many evangelicals are like hating on the self-love movement and the body positive movement and Mm -hmm. embodiment in general and saying yoga and everything is demonic and not allowing you to do all three of those that Jesus commanded us. And I also think that triad is beautiful because you're not going to be perfect at all of them all the time. Sometimes I'm killing it at loving God and I'm hating my neighbor. Sometimes I'm loving myself and, you know, really questioning what God is up to all, all of these things. And I think everyone should give themselves the grace and space to know as a human being, a part of the human condition is that you're not going to be doing all three of these perfectly Mm -hmm all the time but you are called to Mm -hmm. and sexuality is the physical manifestation of those three things aligned Mm. if you allow it to be and I always love um, C.S. Lewis is such a king and when in the screw tape letters the demons are talking to each other about how to keep this man in a hell state in his mind and the advice the demon gives is whatever you do keep him in the past because that's just a figment of his imagination his perception of what happened keep him in the future because it doesn't exist and it can bring fear and shame and pain and you know whatever if he is in the present, he will be residing with God, and that's where divinity lies, and that's where life is really happening. So keep him away from the present. And when I think about that with sex, sex is one of these rare experiences where I am fully present, I am fully embodied because I have released shame and I allow myself to be present. I am engaging with the person and looking at their humanity and figuring out how to honor and respect them. And I'm doing that and outputting love to them and receiving love to them because I love God and those three things synchronized are in a flow and it's the most beautiful experience I've had and I'm 
currently thinking of a particular person who I don't intend to marry. I don't think we're supposed to be together forever and ever. And yet there is so much sexual healing in our relationship because these three things are aligned and they flow when he and I make love. Mm. I love that. If you haven't already lost some evangelicals, you connecting C.S. Lewis to embracing your sexuality will do it. I know, knowing that evangelicals love C.S., I'm like, okay, so you guys are, come on, a little further, a little further. <laughs> Open can So I can imagine that people who are listening may be kind of interested in what you're talking about with you know centering their sexuality to their theology and allowing their sexuality, even shaping their theology. What sort of practical recommendations would you maybe recommend to them other than buying your book? Oh, that was the only one I had. Oh, okay. Touche. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, jokes aside, I would be so honored if any parents, um, well, of, of daughters and sons, because if your sons are going out into the world and they're going to engage with daughters of other people, please read this book because we need more men having sex with women that actually understand how to honor us and honor our bodies and, and receive our enthusiastic consent. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear this like, how can I tell? It's like, oh my God, please stop mm. no stop with that noise learn something about women learn something about looking the other in the eye and and figuring it out this will be tangential but i want to share that embodiment work is so 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 important because as evangelicals we were taught your heart is deceitful your flesh is evil and i thought this was fascinating because the word satan in the bible means the divider so the evangelical church has asked you to divide your disgusting heart your disgusting flesh from your spiritual divine body mm. and that is satanic what they've asked you to do. So when you get into embodiment, which I've been learning about from amazing practitioners in this field that's now blooming and blossoming, is just really allowing yourself to understand that this is divine and it's not an mm. it. We call animals it so we can disrespect them and so we can mistreat and kill them. We call our bodies it so we can do the same. Mm. It's a he, a she, a they, whatever pronoun works for you. It's not an it. So I was working with a pelvic floor therapist recently because I had birth trauma that I've never been informed was even possible mm. because our system of how we educate men and women on sexuality and bodies and pregnancy, even the way we've studied women and their bodies and their health is so underdone. It's, it's mm. atrocious. So I had this problem occur. I'll just say it. I haven't told anybody this, but my inside started to come out of my body. Mm. I could visually see my what was it? I don't think it was my cervix, but it was like my bladder mm. coming out of me. I research it, and it happens to over 40% of women wow. that have children, which 
devastated me. And then the solutions were like, oh, get a pestery is one of the things where you put this um, this cup inside of yourself and it lifts your organs back into your body and you have to take it out and clean it when you go to the bathroom. Mm. And I was weeping. Uh, the other option is surgery where they like, Put it up there for you. I was weeping because my sexuality is so important to me, and I can't imagine anything that would make me feel less sexy than having a cup holding my body parts inside of mm. me. So my beautiful friend Tara Tang, who is an embodiment coach, I'm like crying in my house, and I'm writing her on Instagram, and she refers me to this woman, Amy, who's an incredible pelvic floor therapist. So she starts talking to me. For any women who resonate with this, it turns out that your body keeps the score. My body was holding trauma from childhood that Amy was able mm -hmm. to pinpoint. And she said because of this, it was like trauma that was held in the right side of my pelvis. And she said because my body was like gripping, whenever I felt certain emotions, it was pulling my pelvic floor to the side and then allowing my innards to come out of mm -hmm. my body. So what she did was emotionally, physically, physiologically work through that trauma with me and it released and everything came back up in my body mm. no pestery no surgery and she also said um, you might want to have sex and have a guy try to push that back up like fully for you and i was like should i change my hinge profile to just looking for a dick to push my <laughs> uterus back inside of me <laughs> that's amazing this man I'm referring to helped me out with that and, and made me feel no shame, which was awesome. But point being, I healed through wow. pelvic floor therapy. And in two sessions, this woman is an angel. I'll give you her information for the show notes, please. All of that said, that was tangential, but she and I were working on this trauma and she said, what's coming up from you? And I was like, that my rapist follows me on LinkedIn. Like four months prior or something, he followed me on LinkedIn. I don't even go on LinkedIn. I don't think I've set up a profile, but came through my email. And I realized I'd internalized that as like, oh, he doesn't know. Oh, he must not know that mm. he did this. Because if you read my book, long story short, he took, I was on a trip with friends. He funded it. And I have, you know, financial, you know, woes. And I wasn't sure how to accept a gift. I didn't know my self-worth. I didn't know that basically he came into my hotel room because he had a key and he had sex with me while I laid there dead still giving him nothing. If anything, looking at him like, what are you doing? But I never verbalized a no, which is why I didn't recognize it as a rape until the Me Too mm. movement. Mm -hmm. But with Amy... She was like, okay, so this is coming up for you. And when we unpacked it, she was like, your voice isn't the only thing that says no. Your body is a communicator. Mm -hmm. You, Your body said no in so many other ways. She's like, how did you say no? You laid there. You weren't responsive. Your eyes pleaded with him. You stayed quiet. Like All of these things are context clues to tell someone what you are saying and that really released a lot of the weight that I had on me about realizing that like we we have to interplay with everyone all the time there's no excuse for not receiving or giving enthusiastic consent 
because it's not just your words. Your entire body is involved. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what this is all about, embodiment. And that's my most practical advice. And I feel like I'm having a, what's it, what does Glennon Doyle call it? Not Glennon Doyle. Brene Brown calls mm-hmm. it a, uh, a hangover of vulnerability hangover i'm like and then i just told you guys my most personal secrets but embodiment Mm. it it has been life-changing it's healing me from a rape trauma it's healed my body from birth trauma and it's definitely healed me from sexual trauma and taught me my Mm -hmm. worth Mm -hmm. so this will be a part of like my thesis too not that story but (laughs) uh but but this idea that things that we experience in the world actually physically change the makeup of our bodies and we're learning more and more about this and what again what I'm interested in writing with my thesis then is if that is all true how does that actually shape our theology because our theology is also something that we experience in the world so that's what I'm really interested in is how all that gets shaped in our bodies literally so so um my second to last question, then we can open it up for others to ask any of their questions. But how do you hope that this book is inspiring and liberating theological work for others? I mean, that's all I hope. That's (laughs) what I want so badly. That's the whole reason I wrote it as a love letter to anyone who will receive it. I hope that it blows apart purity culture. I hope that it has the effect that Joshua Harris's book had, who wrote my mm. forward in the reverse. I'm so proud to say that Joshua Harris denounced I Kissed Dane and Goodbye and said, read on her knees instead. Mm. I would be honored if I could mandate comprehensive sex ed nationwide. That's a goal of mine. I care about legislation. I care about politics. What's happening in Texas is atrocious Mm -hmm. and a a human rights violation. I want people of all different sections of Christianity and voyeurs, people that don't understand it, to read this book because if people understand why evangelicals and Baptists and all different sects of Christianity believe and therefore vote and therefore behave and therefore treat others the way that they do. And if we can heal people's sexuality, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a joke to say if we could heal men's sexuality, war would stop. Mm. Like men's sexuality is so broken and then it breaks us and then Mm -hmm. that vicious cycle continues over and over and don't get me wrong men I know you have been raped and you have been assaulted and you have been abused the statistics of women getting assaulted at higher rates I don't believe for one second there's just so much shame for men to really Mm. come to terms even shame for men to recognize when they've been assaulted I, as a woman, was told, well, men just want it all the time. So a lot Mm -hmm. of men have, quote, lost their virginity from their babysitter, their mom's friend, their Mm -hmm. 40-some-year-old neighbor. That was an assault. Mm -hmm. Boys, I'm so sorry that happened to you. So this is to educate everyone and to rip apart all of these ideas and structures that books like Joshua Harris's did and the entire puritanical structure Mm -hmm. of our nation built to say, what are we really doing and who is this theology really helping and more importantly how are we killing people and we have to stop Mm -hmm. lovely well thank you so much
I want to open it now up to others if anybody else has any questions. Um, and so feel free to be the first one. I, I'm from Minnesota, so nobody ever wants to be the first one to ask a question. <laughs> but uh, I know there's some non-Minnesotans out there that want to ask that first question. Yesterday I heard you speak, and um, you mentioned the DSM had a new... Um, could you could you tell us more about that? I find that fascinating. Yeah, I was just saying that there was a term going around religious trauma syndrome that we were starting to identify um, mm. as... Oh, well, to reiterate the question, just, just talking yeah, about... Yeah. I did a session yesterday, and I talked about religious trauma and how it's been added to the DSM. So, Wh with, which What's the DSM? It's like the long, expansive book of like all of the... Thank you. <laughs> Actually, can you come up here and answer this question? <laughs> I know a little bit, but please do fill in the blanks because I, I am not a clinician. I am not a therapist. I'm not accredited in any way. But I did have a beautiful interview with an expert on religious trauma. And she was like, it's not a syndrome. It's just religious trauma. And it's what's being used now to identify this very particular set of issues that come up for all of us mm. who are survivors of religious trauma and to recognize those traumas because they are so strong and profound that they replicate PTSD in many cases. Mm. And Linda K. Klein talks about in her book, Pure, how men will have erectile dysfunction in sex or women will have vaginismus, which is when your body literally just won't allow anything inside because of, mm. you know, your mm -hmm. mental state or post-colloidal panic attacks like the list goes on and on and on and it's all based in like fear and of hell and all of these things that weren't initially recognized by mainstream practitioners and therapists because it's so unique and I think if you're not in the evangelical hellscape that we grew mm -hmm. up in you can't really it's like why are you so scared of hell and it's like mm -hmm. there has to be someone there to address that that is really profoundly important because it's one thing to be like, my daddy told me. It's another thing to be like, my sky daddy told me, and then he'll send me to hell forever. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the ultimate threat, especially when you infuse that in the most impressionable. Like, I fell for this whole rhetoric because I had such an intuitive, genuine connection to divinity since I was a very, very young girl. I would pray at my bedside for wars to end, and I was so passionate and compassionate. And all it took at 12 years old was for Pastor Scott, God bless him, to tell me that that God sends my gay friends to hell, and that God cries when I masturbate, and that mm. God would hate if I had sex with someone besides my husband. And it was this pure joy and this pure love. And I was like... <gasps> I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh, my God. I'll do anything for this pure joy and love. And it's just the most deceptive, destructive thing to be lied to about God, divinity's character. Mm -hmm. So that's my perception of it. Do you have anything to add about it? Please do. That sounds about right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, get excited because now you can have a completely um, non-Christian based therapist. As a matter of fact, please, for the love of God, don't go to a Christian therapist. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, what's your accreditation? Like Bible.org backslash therapy dot com um, or Liberty University, <laughs> Liberty University. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't go to Christian therapists. But the great news is now we have 
that term that you can bring and you can look at therapists and be like, are you in for, are you educated in religious trauma and get your healing from that person? And what I'm like excited about is like, in addition to a lot of the therapy that people are now able to have, and then they get to a point where now they're like interested in like, what do I actually believe about my faith? And what I'm interested in is exploring theologies that can also aid in that healing. What is God like? Or what should we think about salvation or Jesus that actually might be really healing for that that person? So yeah. those are really interesting questions to me, too. Uh, how can listeners get connected to you in your work? Please go by On Her Knees for your friends, lovers, your crazy aunt that drives you insane on Facebook. <laughs> and that's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And... I am at God is Gray on Instagram. I am www.youtube.com slash God is Gray. And that's all. Yeah, that's me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for chatting more about the book. Yes. <laughs> Claps all around. Claps and snaps everywhere. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brenda, for chatting a little bit more about the book. I, I found it, again, really incredible. I think it can be such an important story for others to see their own story within yours. And so thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that. And also, again, I think there's so much good theology in there, even though it's not necessarily like, you know, you're writing an academic theology book. But I think there's a lot of really good theology in there for people to really start reconsidering not just how do I defend myself against purity culture, but now how can you actually take your sexuality to be a central piece to your faith? And I think that's all in there too. And so thank you so much for sharing all about that. Yeah, thank you. Claps again. <laughs> Won't you be the same for hours Till all the light gets eaten up Throughout the day If you'd like to connect with Brenda and Hudson Freeman in their work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meniga. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates. Can't see that far in front of me